What's going on, food eaters? Welcome to episode number 86 of the Food Labels Revealed podcast. I'm your host, Mel Weinstein, your self-contained, self-professed prophet of processed foods. I like to do a news show about four times a year to highlight the rapidly changing American food system and to focus some attention on the innovations and controversies popping up in the marketplace. At the Facebook page, Food Labels Revealed Podcast, I post stories obtained from a news feed that I've set up to scour the internet for food-related articles. Every once in a while, I'll select a subset of articles from the Facebook page for review in this podcast, along with some pertinent commentary. That's the background to this episode, so let's get started. There are dozens and dozens of stories to choose from. I've selected six recent ones to talk about dating from the end of 2023. The first two stories actually have to do with an old subject. Given the negative trending of public health in this country, as evidenced by continued rising of obesity and metabolic diseases, is there anything that government entities can do to stem the tide? This is a controversial subject. Should governments try to control what people eat and drink? Some call that the nanny state. But in reality, governments do have a stake in the ultimate outcomes of bad health in our society. It's government bodies in terms of healthcare organizations, nursing homes, and end-of-life institutions that ultimately provide services to people who have failed to take care of themselves during their lives. The question arises... Should governments impose limitations and restrictions on what and how much people eat and drink that undermines their health? The first story deals with what happens when governments try to make bad food choices more expensive for its citizens. In January 2024, National Public Radio aired a report entitled, Cities with Soda Taxes Saw Sales of Sugary Drinks Fall as Prices Rose. Five U.S. cities, namely Philadelphia, Seattle, San Francisco, Oakland, and Boulder, assessed taxes on sugary drinks to try to curb consumption. As mentioned in the article, quote, sugar-sweetened beverages make up a quarter of all the added sugar in the average adult American diet, end quote. This huge quantity of empty calories makes sugary drinks a good first target to stem the tide of diet-related diseases, including diabetes, obesity, and heart disease. Both the American Heart Association and the American Academy of Pediatricians have endorsed soda taxes as a way to reduce the risks of childhood obesity. Also, from a global perspective, the World Health Organization recommends that countries place taxes on sugary drinks to promote healthier diets. So, What happened in those five cities? A comprehensive study of the effects of the taxes showed that they worked. The prices of sugary drinks rose and sales fell by 33% across the board. The taxes ranged from 1 to 2 cents per ounce. Using a 2 liter bottle of soda as an example, the imposed tax was between 67 cents to $1.30 extra a considerable increase in cost. In general, for every 1% increase in costs, 
purchases fell by 1%. The conclusion was that when people had to pay more for sugary drinks, they decreased their purchases. This effect appeared to be broad and sustained. Of course, the obvious question that arises is whether people will just travel outside the city limits to buy less expensive products. The study showed that was not the case. There were no significant increases in cross-border purchases. How did the sugary drink industry feel about city-imposed taxes? Obviously, they were deeply offended. Not only did the taxes in those five cities affect their bottom line, but even worse, there was a concern that soda taxes, as they're called, will spread to other cities. Apparently, the lobbying influence that Big Soda has at the state and federal levels does not correspondingly affect municipalities. Although, according to the article in the past, quote, in some states, opponents passed laws that basically stripped localities of the power to be able to pass soda taxes, and the movement basically stalled, end quote. Of course, it's too early to know if these municipal taxes will achieve their ultimate goal, that is improved health, but in the meantime, the city coffers are expanding. It will be interesting to see whether this trend expands across the nation and whether the huge and powerful beverage industry will mount a major offensive against it. The second story is closely related to the first, but on a national level. The country of Colombia in the northwest corner of South America is attempting to control the effects of ultra-processed foods on its population. The Guardian article entitled, Colombia Passes Ambitious Junk Food Law to Tackle Lifestyle Diseases, was published in November 2023. One major concern there is the amount of salt in the diet of Colombians. The average Colombian consumes 12 grams of salt per day. That's the equivalent of 4,800 milligrams of sodium, which is twice the recommended amount in the U.S. It's the highest consumption in Latin America. Nearly one-third of Colombian adults have high blood pressure. High salt diets have been linked to cardiovascular diseases such as strokes and heart failure, which account for roughly a fourth of annual deaths. The new tax is targeting ultra-processed products, which are defined as manufactured ready-to-eat foods characteristically high in salt and saturated fats. Taxes will be applied to milk products with added sugar, sausages and cold cuts, chocolates, candies, snacks, baked goods, cereals, canned fruits and vegetables with added fat, sugar, and salt, jams, jellies and marmalades, sauces, condiments, and seasonings, and carbonated and non-carbonated beverages. Some traditional Colombian foods are exempted, though. Also, 100% juices and infant formulas are exempted. The tax rate will depend upon the added sugar content, salt, and saturated fat and will rise every year from 10 to 20% over a three-year period. As an example, in 2024, a food with more than 10 grams of added sugar per 100 grams of food, the tax would be 55 Colombian pesos or 1.4 cents American. On the global scale, Colombia is one of the first countries to attempt to positively affect the health of its citizens by taxing unhealthy foods. Do you see that happening in the United States anytime soon? 
Story number three, in my opinion, is kind of silly, but it's representative of a recent trend to take a popular food item in one sector and cross it over to another. The article is entitled, Unexpected and Bold, the Iconic Nacho Cheese Taste of Doritos Imbued into a First-of-Its-Kind Spirit. This was published by BeverageDaily.com in December 2023. Yes, you heard me right. Frito-Lay has collaborated with the Danish flavor company called Empirical to create Doritos Nacho Cheese Spirit, a liquor that tastes like nacho cheese. You can't make this stuff up. Through a special distillation process, the essence of nacho cheese is infused in an alcoholic base which can be enjoyed in a margarita, Bloody Mary, old-fashioned, neat, or over ice. The liquor will be a limited edition product and has 42% alcohol by volume from the company. Quote, Empirical is writing a playbook that does not exist. One distillation, one spirit, and one flavor at a time. The result really is the fan favorite snack in liquid form. Limited edition bottles of Empirical Doritos Nacho Cheese Spirit will only be available next month. $65 for a 750 ml bottle. In select New York and California markets. Pre-orders began on December 13th. Consumers must be 21 plus years old to purchase. Would you try this alcoholic beverage? Not me, for sure, but expect to see more such products in the future. How about Twinkies Gin and Tonic? Story 4 comes from Science Daily, published in December 2023. It's entitled, U.S. Adults Eat a Meal's Worth of Calories of Snacks in a Day. Do you snack throughout the day? Unknowingly or unconsciously, you may be exceeding your daily calorie load. A study was made of 23,708 U.S. adults over 30 years of age from 2005 to 2016 using data from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. During the survey, a 24-hour dietary recall was used to assess what foods were eaten and when they were eaten. HbA1c measurements were taken, which indicate blood glucose control. The participants were categorized into four groups, non-diabetics, pre-diabetics, controlled diabetics, and poorly controlled diabetics. In the sampling, nutritionally deficient snacks accounted for between 19.5 and 22.4% of total calorie intake. The study revealed that Americans consume 400 to 500 calories per day by eating snacks. From the article, quote, In descending order of proportion, snacks consisted of convenience foods, high in carbohydrates and fats, sweets, alcoholic beverages, non-alcoholic drinks that include sugar-sweetened beverages, protein, milk and dairy, fruits, grains, and lagging, far behind, vegetables. The researchers found that people with diabetes had healthier snacking habits, which was an indicator that dietary education is beneficial to people with the disease. 
The researchers summarized that rather than offering tips on what foods to snack on, it was better to look at a day's total dietary picture and determine whether snacks could fulfill nutritional needs. Quote, We think about what we're going to pack for lunch and cook for dinner, but we don't plan that way for our snacks. So then you're at the mercy of what's available in your environment. End quote. Story number five also comes from Science Daily, published in November 2023, entitled, Following a Mediterranean Diet Reduces the Risk of Cognitive Decline in Older People. It has long been suspected that diet plays a key role in the health of the brain while aging. The Mediterranean diet has been touted as a very healthy diet for many decades now. This diet is made up of foods consumed by people living in countries bordering the Mediterranean Sea. In general, it consists of high amounts of fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, whole grains, and pasta, and moderate amounts of meat, fish, and seafood, and olive oil, and low amounts of highly processed foods. A European study called A Healthy Diet for a Healthy Life was conducted over a 12-year period involving 840 people who were over 65 years of age. 65% were women and 35% were men. And they were living in France. Blood biomarkers were measured and associated with the benefits of a Mediterranean diet. Cognitive impairment was assessed by five neuropsychological tests. The study revealed that there was a protective association between the measured biomarkers and cognitive decline in older people. From the article, quote, We found that adherence to Mediterranean diets assessed by a panel of dietary biomarkers is inversely associated with long-term cognitive decline in older people. These results support the use of these indicators in long-term follow-up assessments to observe the health benefits associated with the Mediterranean diet or other dietary patterns and therefore guide personalized counseling at older ages. End quote. This study indicates that the troubling rise in Alzheimer's disease, also sometimes called type 3 diabetes, may be mediated by the proper choice of diet. So there is hope for the future. Finally, we come to story number six. Any frequent listener of this podcast knows that I constantly rail against ultra-processed foods. These foods have been with us since the 1950s, and I grew up consuming them on a regular basis. However, it's only in the last two decades that science has caught up with the deleterious effects of these extremely modified foods. Some people call them non-foods. This last article comes from The Guardian, published in October 2023, and is entitled, It's Like Trying to Quit Smoking. Why Are One in Seven of Us Addicted to Ultra-Processed Foods? That title makes a strong statement. One in seven of us, that is 14%, are addicted. Compare that to 14% of people addicted to alcohol and 18% addicted to nicotine. That's a bunch of people. I can certainly see it in myself when eating certain foods like potato chips and find it difficult to stop, sometimes consuming a large bag at a single sitting. The only solution was not keeping the chips in my home. 
You know you're addicted when you frantically extract every last crumb from the bag and clean your fingers with your tongue. What's going on there? A common trait among ultra-processed foods, or UPFs, is their hyper-palatability. They are strategically made to taste good, and through a carefully engineered combination of salt, sugar, and fat, these combinations ring the desires of our brain similar to other addictions like tobacco and alcohol. The lead author of this study, Professor Ashley Gearhart of the University of Michigan, compared the criteria of drug addictions and compared them to overeating, excessive intake, loss of control of consumption, cravings, and continued use despite negative consequences and withdrawal. Furthermore, she says, quote, if a person has had two or more symptoms over the past year, coupled with significant impairment or distress, this is classed as a food addiction, end quote. But some people find this concept hard to wrap their head around. How can food, the sustenance of life, be addictive? This idea makes more sense if we look at ultra-processed food as not real food. What we get addicted to is the modern creation of food. Looks, smells, and tastes great, but doesn't make the grade as a food fit for consumption. How many of us could make these foods in our kitchens? An important observation has to do with availability. Cigarette addiction was not a thing until mass production came along in the 1880s. That technology led to a 1,000% increase in cigarette smoking. Likewise, the unbelievable availability of junk foods has greatly contributed to food addiction. Does everyone become addicted? No, a certain percentage of us are predicted by our brain chemistry, 1 in 7. No single ingredient can be blamed because it's a combination of sensory ingredients that brings about cravings. Additionally, certain additives like flavorings, texturizers, and artificial sweeteners add to the attraction of UPFs. Fernandez Aranda, one of the researchers of the study, says the first step, as with any addiction, is to recognize there is a problem. Quote, could you stop eating UPS? When faced with negative emotions, could you cope in a different way rather than eating? How do you feel when those UPS are not available? End quote. Then, if necessary, seek medical help. Quote, early detection of eating disorders triggered by UPFs or not is crucial in order to reduce their duration, end quote. Why does it matter if we're hooked on UPFs? The British Medical Journal article is sobering on the consequences of addiction, which include neural dysfunction, impulsivity, and emotion dysregulation, as well as poorer physical and mental health and lower quality of life, end quote. Gearhart goes on to say, quote, people are desperate to change their relationship with food, but the pull is too strong. We need to change the environment and make the food industry accountable, end quote. From the article, quote, the majority of us are not addicted to UPS, but we may have an unhealthy relationship with them, just as many people are dependent on alcohol without being full-blown alcoholics, end quote. As I mentioned in my book, Fast Food Ingredients Revealed, ultimately, government oversight will be needed by requiring manufacturers of junk and fast foods to attach front-of-packaging labeling to warn consumers about the dangers of ultra-processed foods. 
Hey, food eaters. Time to end the show. To all the listeners in podcast land, old and new, I appreciate you tuning in. If you have a little bit more time, I'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating and positive review at, at the iTunes store. I read all of them. You can find previous episodes of Food Labels Revealed and their show notes at the hosting website called Podbean. That's at www.podbean.com or just by Googling Food Labels Revealed. And, of course, you can always listen to the podcast on your smartphone or tablet by downloading a podcast app like Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Spotify. If you think your family, friends, coworkers, or acquaintances might be interested in this podcast, please tweet or post a link through your social media outlets to get the word out. If you haven't already, check out my book on Amazon by searching on my name, Mel Weinstein, or the title, Fast Food Ingredients Revealed. Till later, remember this. If you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants. The outro music is a clip from Happy Boy, Composed by Kevin McLeod.